Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there, listeners. Christopher Sweeney, your host of Homo Sapiens here, in case you'd forgotten. How are you all? What have we got here, then? What's this arriving in your ears? It's a little bonus episode of Homo Sapiens. A bit of a culture club theme, because we're talking to the much-celebrated author Amelia Abraham. She wrote a book a while back called Queer Intentions, which was a sort of first-person memoir of life as, an, as, as a young queer woman. Anyway, she has then compiled a book called We Can Do Better Than This, which is a series of essays from many luminaries who have been on this podcast before, all about where are we at with LGBTQ plus rights? What can we be doing more of? There's essays written by Beth Ditto, Owen Jones, Ollie Alexander, Lady Phil, Wolfgang Tillmans, or literally listeners, it's all the big names. So Amelia had swung by to chat to me about a variety of things, really. We're kind of talking about her work and both of her books, both of which are great. If you haven't read them, go get yourself a copy. It's a lovely chat. She's a lovely person. And we have such a giggle because when we're doing the interview, she's meeting her girlfriend's parents for the first time. So everything she's saying, like we keep giggling because she keeps talking about sex. It's very funny. She's a wonderful person. And I know you're going to love the chat. So here you are. Have a listen. Hi, Amelia. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Chris. I'm good. I'm tired, existentially tired, but good. This is a real joy to have you on the podcast. I've been a fan from afar for many years. It's weird because I was looking back and when you wrote Queer Intentions, because of the pandemic, it's just wiped out two years of my life. And I thought that was really recently, but it was a few years ago now, your first book. Yeah, it was. I think it came out in 2019, the first book. Um, but I was writing it in 2017 and 2018. So even for me, I'm, you know, you might ask me about it and I might not be able to remember what's in it, but we can try. <laughs> we'll give it a go. Yeah, we'll give it a go. I'm very grateful to be here. I feel very honoured. I feel like I've made it. I'm very excited <laughs> to meet you, partly because my mum's been watching The Tourist and then she got me onto it. So we're fans. Oh, wow. I was also excited to meet Alan because I wanted to ask him about being on The L Word, which is my lesbian obsession. <laughs> oh, God. But we can course. do that another time. This is what was amazing about hosting the podcast with Alan. He has been in so much that it's really hard to actually stay on top of what he's been. I didn't even know he was in the L Word. Was he in it a lot? I think he was in it for a season and he was like the manager of the planet, which is the cafe that they all go to. 
So I think he would have been at the center of some on-set gossip, but we'll never know. I mean, could we expect anything less from that man? He's the center of most things. He has a gravitational pull of joy. Alan, if you're listening, he does listen. Please buy a t-shirt from Homo sapiens dash shop. Um, The L word, actually, now you mention it, brings me on to one of the questions I wanted to ask you later, but let's start with it. So your book, We Can Do Better Than This, is a beautiful collection of essays, which I've spoken a bit about in the intro with listeners. It's all about, I'm saying this for listeners, not for you, you compiled it, Um, you know, how we can be doing better and, you know, where are we at right now and how can we improve? Thinking of the L word, like where are we at with television and representation for gay women and lesbians and gender fluid lesbians? How are we doing? Yeah, I mean, I think we're doing better it's nice to see the revamp of the l word as a kind of quite sort of clear metric of that because they've included so many more different types of people like when the in the the original l word everyone was a kind of almost everyone was like a white femme la lipstick lesbian um and it received quite a bit of criticism it's a funny one it was one of those things where People criticised the show because there was a trans character and um, some of the lesbians were quite transphobic towards the trans character. Um, There was also a bisexual Mm -hmm. character and some of the lesbians were quite biphobic towards the bisexual character. But I did think, you know, are they just showing that this transphobia and biphobia exists and that's part of the storyline? I think that they were kind of critiquing it or trying to. Mm -hmm. So it's had a lot of criticism for that and they've done a lot better now. They've got a new version called L Word Gen Q. Um, and they've got mm. lots more different types of characters, um, more trans characters, um, more fluid characters. Um, and I think that it shows how far we've come. But I think there's quite a bit of a way to go still, mm-hmm. mainly because there aren't that many lesbian TV shows still really. Mm. There's some good stuff, but... You know, the thing that is sort of rocking uh, rocking the world, why am I saying that, uh, currently is Euphoria. and. I have only watched episode one. I kind of needed to lie down after it. Have you watched any? What did you feel about it? Yeah, I absolutely loved Euphoria. I I know what you mean about having to lie down. It also makes me feel quite old. I'm 30 and it makes me feel like, okay, you're 30 now. Because I have these thoughts like, where are their parents? And I'm like, when did I become like this? How how are they going to get home from there? It's so late. Yeah. Um, Um, Where did they acquire this Did everybody lateral flow? Yeah, it's exactly, it's that. Um, But yeah, I think it's great. It's so nice to see a relationship between a queer cis female main character and a queer female trans main character. Hmm. You know, you don't see that very often and it's really nice to see. And I have a crush on both of them, actually. Yes. <laughs> Which might be creepy here. because I'm so clearly much older than them. <laughs> well, if you think about it, though, <laughs> any American high school show, most of the people in it playing 17-year-olds are actually between 30 and 40. True. So um, you're <laughs> you're doing all right because Zendaya is 25, right? Okay. Do you think that's in my catchment as a 30-year-old? <laughs> the word catchment worries me um, but... <laughs> and also maybe a question for my girlfriend not you <laughs> <laughs> well listen i'm happy to take first the first <laughs> first run at it i don't know it's i cusp. never dated people younger than me right i don't know what does that five years do yeah is there an age gap between you two my girlfriend and i yes just a two-year age gap so no not really she's age appropriate <laughs> <laughs> I think. And only because I'm invested in you and your books 
which girlfriend is this is this the one (laughs) from a long time ago or is this yeah a new person a friend was just bought queer intention so that's the name of the first book and it does talk about it opens with a breakup and then i have another relationship during the book and she was very Mm. confused about timelines because she was like how many more girlfriends it only came out in 2019 but i'm kind of a serial monogamist i think okay so there's the girlfriend who the book i'm i'm breaking up with the girlfriend when it opens and she lived in iceland and the story is that i moved to iceland to be with her and it only lasted 10 days and i had to kind of move back after 10 Mm. days and then i I had another girlfriend who was wonderful and now I have mm-hmm. a- another girlfriend. And that's been going on a while? A year and a half, yeah. I'm actually in well, her parents' house recording this right now. I'm staying with them for the first time. Oh. It's all been very chaste. What's the, uh, what's the verdict? Um, they, are ab- they are absolutely <laughs> lovely. Um, well, you'd have to say that. You're sitting in their sitting I'm room. I'm sitting in their house, um, yeah. But um, we've had to be um, on best behaviour. Really? Yeah, I kind of like rolled over a little bit in bed the other night and she went, don't move. They'll think we're having really? sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always stressful meeting the parents though, isn't it? It's not too bad in this case, actually. And they're very, um, mm-hmm. they're very gay friendly. I've, I've had some relationships in the past where people I've dated aren't out to their parents or perhaps Oof. they come out to their parents when we're together. Actually, the most notable time this happened is I went at my first relationship when I was 18. I went to stay with my girlfriend as her friend and I was sleeping in the spare room because I was the I'm doing but we're on a podcast inverted commas friend and um, I woke up in the morning and everyone in the house was shouting at each other and I realized the parents had outed her because I was there and I was trapped in the locked in the spare room while the coming out fight was happening it was really scary and it was also annoying because I think they felt like I was this devil that had like dragged her into lesbianism but actually it was the other way around if anything yes it's reminding me of I had a friend when I was younger whose mother kind of tried to pin his gayness on me sort of making out that I'd made him gay it's just a friend (laughs) not a partner I was like do you know what it's not how it works it just doesn't work like that so then what did you do did you just have to wait I presume breakfast wasn't on the cards that morning luckily the fight got so bad that the parents drove away so I had an opportunity <laughs> to leave <laughs> oh, God. so I could sort of slip out yeah the only silver lining in your <laughs> your whole family abandoning you yeah is that it was all right in the end you, really yeah as these things sometimes just take a bit of time you know yes it's funny how people you know if people are lucky like you're sort of saying that it lucky enough that it goes all right the explosion of the reaction can be quite something. I introduced my mum to my current girlfriend the other day and we had a really nice dinner together. And as she left, she hugged her goodbye and she whispered in her ear, I don't know how Amelia got you. <laughs> how, how savage is that? And also probably explains the maternal attachment disorder that made me gay in the first place. <laughs> Is that your mother being cheeky or is that... No, uh, no, that's my mother being those... my mother. <laughs> I've learned um, to love it. <laughs> I've learned to love it. Why are you gritting your teeth there, yeah. Amelia? I wanted to ask you a bit about your books and your writing and all the wonderful things that you've done over time. Do you feel like you're someone who's always trying to question how much we are assimilating? And I know that's a hot word for some people. But how much LGBTQ plus people are being kind of 
given rights and privileges and whether we want them and what you know it's it's and whether it's enough and do you feel like that's your job on this earth in some ways i feel like in in everything you do there's a question like that i don't think it's my job on this earth however it interested me enough to write this first book about it and that mm. was because it was a question that was affecting my life you know um mm-hmm. for anyone who hasn't read the book so i'm in iceland for a meager 10 days but you know I'm, I am having a long-term relationship with someone and for the first time I'm maybe thinking oh this person you know she very much wanted to get married and have kids and it was the first time I was thinking you know are those things that I want to do as a gay person and I'm this there are lots of different types of gay people but I'm the type that like loves gay clubbing and you know having a lot of sex I suppose and so I wondered if it if it was maybe at, that those things were at odds with um I really hope the parents of my girlfriend didn't just hear me say that. I, I literally was about <laughs> yeah, to say. Yeah, you were thinking it, weren't you? you? Could, oh, I was like, okay, you're going to hear them dropping their dinner in next door. I know, let's just brush over it. God. Um, so I was watching. <laughs> the of cutlery. I can't continue with this. <laughs> so and they're going to be like. Jesus no, Christ. At odds with having kids, no grandkids. So, yeah, I was wondering if those things were odds or, you know, whether they were kind of reconcilable. And I was wondering, you know, what does it mean to get married as as an option when it's not afforded to gay people everywhere? And what does it mean? Um, mm. What does it mean that it's such a new right that's only just been offered to us? And I had all these kinds of questions about my kind of personal relationship. And I figured that they tied in with things I've been writing about in my professional life. So I was mm. working as a journalist then at places like Vice and other publications, sometimes The Guardian and stuff like that. And, you know, I was writing about the closure of gay bars and the question of do gay people still want to go to gay bars? Um, and I was writing about the commercialization of Pride. So, you know, mm. big banks sponsoring Pride and cor- corporatization. Um, another thing that I think that I was writing about that felt relevant too was the rise of trans visibility and trans models in particular at that time, because this was about 2016. Mm. So, yeah, and I kind of, um, I saw a link between all of these things and I thought no one's done a piece of work that joins up the dots between all these things. That's a lie. Some people have done that work, but very much in an academic space. And I thought no Mm. one has really done this in a mainstream way or a kind of super accessible personal way. So Mm. that's why I wrote a book about the mainstreaming of queer culture. But you know, I don't want to spoil the ending, but I'm pretty ambivalent. And I don't think, you know, each to their own, everyone should do what they want to do as an LGBTQ plus person. But I just thought that it might be worth investigating where we're at societally in terms of all these new rights and acceptance we have in the West. And also critically, who do they extend to and who don't they extend to? And then as I explore in the next book, who's getting left behind? What more is there to do? um, And how can we actually do it? Mm. And it's interesting to because it is such a first person story, your first book, and um, to have a bit of, you know, you often speak to people when their books are out, but you know, we have we have time between that one and now. And I, I, you know, noticed you said one of the things you spoke about was you know the death of the queer nightlife spaces. Here we are in 2022, if I check my watch. Where are we at with nightlife, one? And and two, where are we at with gay female spaces? Because they are left behind always, right? Yeah, I think 
There are similarities across different cities, which is that lesbian bars tend to be pretty scarce. Um, Mm. You know, we talk about why that is. Maybe it's because it's a slightly more difficult economic model. Um, Some people, I'm not saying I agree with this, think it's because lesbians get into relationships and then they get a cat and then they don't necessarily want to go to a gay <laughs> a lesbian bar five nights a week. Um, that's, that's certainly it. not true of myself and I'm extremely allergic to cats and, you know, I'll always want to go to a lesbian bar <laughs> if there is one. But, you know, people say stuff like that. But I think it's also that lesbians are always kind of sort of so- sidelined in culture. You know, it's like we were talking about with the L word. Like, I don't know there's always a slight mm. invisibility or there's not as much prominence as gay male culture, I suppose. But, you know, there are so many more, whether or not they're identifying as lesbians, there are so many more queer women out there these days, you know, um, mm. people experimenting with their sexuality or people realizing that they, their sexuality might be queer later in life. So I think the clientele is growing. So I would like to see more queer female-centered spaces. But I do think we see them. We just don't see them in permanent bar form. Like we see mm-hmm. we see these roving club nights that pop up in different places and maybe they last like a year or two. And I'm quite happy with that model. And I think, I'm, you know, unfortunately the pandemic will probably accelerate that model um, mm. because it will be more difficult to hold a permanent space. So mm. maybe we'll see more kind of pop-up parties. And that would be really nice, I think. Well, maybe you should set one up. <laughs> I think that ship that sails. Be, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Where would you go if you were looking for that tonight? Imagine you were to walk out that front door, wherever you were in, are in the world, and go out. Where might that be? Yeah, this is a bit of a triggering question because I was supposed to go on oh. New Year's Day to a kind mm. of queer rave in London called Adonis. And... Yes, I was just so hungover that I didn't go. And then I spent the first maybe five days of 2022 thinking, you're not fun anymore. Why didn't you go? <laughs> this sort of like <laughs> self-flagellating interior monologue. Um, you um, know, okay. so I, I haven't been very good at going out recently, but I've moved to Brussels actually um, for a while yes. and they have a lesbian bar and it's <gasps> super cute. It's called The Crazy Circle. Mm. Isn't that so lesbian? Love it. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of has the feel of if you walk into what I imagine a gay bar in the kind of small town in the Midwest of America would be like a little string of rainbow lights and, you know, two people sitting in the corner and maybe like a nostalgic song playing and a really friendly, bored bar person who wants to talk to you all night long it's really nice i love it Mm. i always remember because there's a thing of like um you know those bars can sometimes be viewed as like oh they're rubbish because how are you ever going to pull there you know what i mean there can slightly be that conversation around them but also they're lovely like pit stops in in a world filled with straight life where you can go and just be with your other half if you have one or if you want one you know, and just be like you would be in your sitting room, but in a bar, you know, and know that it will be met with love and understanding. And I love that. Yeah. And I think one thing that's so beautiful about that bar, and I think it says something about Brussels, I think it's cheaper from what I understand to have a space or have an independent business there than it is in somewhere as astronomically expensive as London. 
Um, mm. Although there is one lesbian bar in London called Sheba, I think. Um, oh. But um, in Soho, there, there was. But there are people of all ages there, and there are, you sometimes you see like a seventy-year-old lesbian couple in in the crazy circle, and that's really cute. But I mm. think I think I agree with you. And you're right. And one thing that came across when writing Queer Intentions because I was traveling around all these different countries researching queer life um, was that I would often go into the gay bar and I would find someone to talk to and I would feel it was almost as though we had this instant sense of connection and some people sort of reject that as I don't know essentialist like why would I get on with you just because we're both but I found I find it to be Mm. common ground especially as I'm a person with no ostensible hobbies I don't really have (laughs) that much to talk to people about like I can't go like rock climbing and then like meet people through that do you know what I mean like I just <laughs> I love how like I can't not hear everything you're saying through the filter of being the parents next door <laughs> being like well she's got no hobbies yeah um wastrel they've got um, they've got so but- many hobbies as well they're always doing hobbies all day long like life drawing really what like um, oh, her mum was playing the flute earlier and it's actually been really rubbing it in that I haven't got any my only (laughs) hobby is talking about queer stuff and here I am so (laughs) it's a fucking great hobby it's mine too yeah I'm not from a family who ever did anything like that so like even my mum when I tried to play sport my mum would be like don't bother darling there's no point (laughs) like it's just not we weren't a doer family right yeah we weren't really either but I did have more hobbies when I was younger and I think they were quite kind of gay hobbies like lesbian hobbies i love football and i loved um playing playstation what game um i loved playing tony hawk's skateboarding um i loved playing grand theft auto as well <laughs> i don't really want to admit to this on this podcast really but i spent so many i know but i spent so many hours a day playing them both that i think i kind of came to believe i was like the guy and either <laughs> and it caused some like really? yeah that's probably led to my current gender fluidity or something somehow yes I was going to ask you about that because um it's become a common fixture on this podcast that most people who I have been aware of for a while who then come on the podcast I'm always like can we just check what how you're identifying now and most people have evolved um, mm, yeah. into something beyond and it, is that true for you that you I guess it just feels like a term, I guess I I, I um, do not identify as non-binary, but I'm very happy when people say, you can say they, but I don't think I identify right now. Um, mm. But I guess I, I guess I have some masculine energy um, and I'm, I am apparently, I've been told, categorised as what you would call a soft butch. <laughs> although so different friends they tell you this in the magic circle yeah. what it's called. the crazy circle yeah and crazy circle or Are they like soft butchers at the back yeah exactly uh <laughs> or then i sometimes i get called by my friend my dear friend tom rasmussen um a scrappy daddy when i ask what type of lesbian <laughs> am i i'm like scrappy daddy and then one i had the other day that was fun was cheeky urban dom i was like what so anyway i think um i don't know what any of these mean but um i think though that's how i'm identifying as all of those things right now okay good um 
but right. I'm still sh- I'm still I guess primarily she her pronouns mm-hmm. um mm. and I guess I've been saying I say lesbian a lot and no one that's uncool these days like people don't really say that sometimes oh, I really? say sometimes I say queer but I don't know some I'll probably get cancelled saying I'm not saying it's uncool I'm saying that I think some people think that it is because I I love it I'm holding on to it and I very much identify with like lesbian culture but not the type of lesbian culture that's transphobic and I think therefore saying lesbian mm-hmm. all the time while also being very clear about the fact that you are exceptionally trans inclusive is a good thing to do so I think that's also why mm-hmm. it's important to say I'm a lesbian mm-hmm. and I you know I don't p- listeners mm-hmm. might not have been following this but there was an article on the BBC for instance that came out a couple of months ago now that was speaking to some people who identify as lesbians who were saying that they had been pressured into sex by some trans people. But the way the article was kind of framed was, I very much felt sort of positioning all trans people as sexual predators. Um, and I don't, mm. I didn't see why that was necessary to do at all. I didn't know why they had to extrapolate something that had happened to one or two people um, and discuss an entire identity group. Then again, that is mm. what so often happens when we read transphobia in the media. So was I surprised by it? Not necessarily, apart from the fact it's BBC. Um, but mm. I, it, 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 uh, it's, it somewhat upset me, I suppose. So that's just a bit mm. of, of context um, in terms of sometimes lesbians are pitted against trans people in um, a sort of divisive way. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Tell me about we can do better, better, better. <laughs> that's the Spanish edition. What? Tell me about we can do better than this, and how your idea came about, and some of the amazing people we've got in it. Yeah, I think you've probably interviewed a few people in it, have you? I would guess so. There's the whole back catalogue in there. You've got uh, Mickey Blanco, you've got Owen Jones, Beth. Ditto, Ollie Alexander evades us. It's like I found um, your address book or hacked your email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's because you've got wonderful taste in brilliant people. And I think you say in the book, like, these are the people who, I think you say something along the lines of like, these are people I've met along the way who are making change for good. So here they are. You know? Yeah. And I feel that's the same how we feel about our guests. Yeah. They're all incredible people that I really admire. So it was, I'm very lucky to have had them 
contribute. I will say the idea for the book wasn't, uh, well, it was kind of, I wanted to do an anthology, but really it came from um, Penguin and specifically Vintage, who published it. They actually came to me and said, we'd like to do a book on this topic. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, the topic being, if indeed we haven't come as far as we think, well, there's still a lot of work to be done um, to make life safer and happier for queer people everywhere. What is the work that we need to do? Um, you know, what are some practical mm. things we can do to get there? And what are some kind of more abstract sort of philosophical things we need to do to get there? Um, and I was like, yeah, mm. that sounds like something I'd love to do. And it feels a continuation of the first book. But also in the first book, I do interview a lot of people. So it's really as much as I'm blabbing now isn't just me talking. And I think it felt nice to take that even further and actually just have other people contribute. So um, I was really mm. excited about that as a project and getting all the different perspectives in there and also doing something that was even, even more global because we have people in the book from South Korea and Brazil and um, Bangladesh and Nigeria and um, lots of places. So it's a pretty global snapshot of LGBTQ plus rights today. Yeah, and it's beautifully put together and it's a timely reminder that the liberation around queerness is a very staggered thing depending on where you are in the world, you know. Mm. Um, And even where you think, oh, the UK, what a place where things have come so far, you know, it's so fascinating to be reminded of things that are basic, basic human rights that are being overlooked on a daily basis. And even as I talked to you today, there was something in the news about this is in America, protection for LGBT rights being rowed back in a city somewhere. Um, It's also, it's a thing that goes forwards and backwards. Um, Are there any, I mean, you know, any, any bits that surprised you most bits that you loved the most you know I know Ollie Alexander doing inclusive sex education I thought was just wonderful because if it starts that age I just think it would be would have been so brilliant for me growing up that's for sure yeah I think you're really right I think if everyone has that and is taught in schools in Britain that this is how some people have relationships and this is how some people have sex then that that generation will grow up and I think we'll see a huge, huge shift in terms of how LGBTQ plus people in this country are treated. Um, mm. And yeah, so I mean, I think, yeah, that's an important one. Um, there were some things that really sort of surprised me or I didn't know. There's an essay I love by someone called Andrew Gerzer, who's a Canadian disability activist who's queer and um Mm. he writes an essay called happily ever after isn't accessible to me and it's about some of the hurdles um that he's come across in his dating life from going to a gay bar and there not being a ramp for him to actually get in to discrimination online but then the main thing he talked about which i did not know in the essay is that um if you are a disabled person um, and you are on disability benefits they're usually um based on your household income so if you decided to get married or to move in with your partner you might not have access to those benefits anymore so there are these kind of legal um or bureaucratic like blocks on equality for disabled queer people and just generally he Mm. said i think it's just something we're not necessarily thinking about enough in terms of how to make life better for our queer disabled siblings so it was really nice to have his voice in there and then there's a piece Mm. 
that I absolutely love called um, Pregnancy Beyond Gender, which is mm. by somebody called Levi Hood, who is like 23 years old and a literal genius. Um, <laughs> and it's this beautiful essay about sci-fi and how it shaped their understandings of, you know, what pregnancy is. And um, they talk about trans pregnancies and they kind of compare transition to pregnancy as well. Um, and they talk mm. about how if we could move beyond gendered conceptions of pregnancy, then we would not only make life better for a lot of queer people, but we would also um, make life better for a lot of cis women and be fighting feminism at the same time. And I love anything that sort of positions LGBT rights alongside feminism. So that's another favourite I could go on all day. And I'd, it's easy to do because I didn't write them, so I don't have to feel like <laughs> a, a, big headed, a big-headed monster. What I really liked about it, because in, in some respects, the things that come up in the book in many different ways is like it's allyship in, uh, between the queer community, between yes. people from the queer community. And the, but there's also tips in there, aren't there, for people who aren't queer. And I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast actually aren't and use it as an access point to understand more, which I just think is beautiful that yeah. anyone would do that. I hope that both books kind of they were both created with that in mind like could you pick this up as a queer or non-queer person it had to be yes but yeah there's you know there's there's essays in the book um and I've done talks since we can do better than this came out with you know intersex act activists or asexual activists who both feature in the book and don't and you know people have said things like you know I just don't understand why LGBTE people are not showing up more for intersex or asexual people because we go to pride mm. every year or we go to protests you know it's it just doesn't always feel like a two-way street um and mm. i think i think you know ending forced intersex surgeries is an extremely important one in terms of mm. urgent things we need to be pushing for in lgbt rights yes absolutely and the attitudes of some medicine in that area is chilling actually yeah I, that's another one I was editing I didn't really you know I'm not an insect person myself that I know of but you know I didn't realize what it's like to if you are and doctors know will tell your family or whatever this sort of you're treated like your whole life is kind of seen through this medical lens or you're kind of I think the term Hannah, mm -hmm. Hannah Gabby Odiel who's a Belgian model who's insects who writes in the book says you know I felt like a bun mm. like a like a bunny rabbit so mm -hmm. that was in, that was interesting to learn about, and also the atmosphere of the ambition being to correct, yeah, exactly, know, rather than say this person is this person, and you know let let me reform remodel under the knife this person in in my own vision, right? So we what? exactly so we should be talking about that as much as we're talking about banning conversion therapy because there are similarities. Right? Yeah, yes, absolutely, big parallels, and. Um, one of the chapters you might not be shouting about because you wrote it yourself is talking about gender in sport, right? Mm. And I personally really connected to that because I have always just found gender to be, I'm literally snoring as I say this because I say it every week. <laughs> but, you know, it's always been the most kind of like discombobulating thing I've ever come across. Um, aside from Wordle and reading what you wrote about it and how I don't know it's one of those things as you turn the pages you're like and oh, this is getting more and more you, I'm getting more irate as I read 
you know, uh, how, of how, as how absurd. <laughs> is that a good thing? <laughs> how absurd it is. Yeah, absolutely. Cause well, I love the thing that you said is like, this is full of optimism and hope, but it might also make you angry. And I think it does, you know, because it's, it's a little bit like Sean Fay's book, The Transgender Issue. Like it just joins some dots that were there to be joined, you know, sort of puts things in, in a place. Does that sort of, that tracks back to you on a personal level? Cause you weren't allowed to play football with the boys when you wanted to, right? when you were a kid Mm. yeah and I think I say in the essay me not being allowed to play football with the boys at school is not you know the worst thing that's ever happened in the world but I guess Mm. it stands for something a little bit broader this comes back to what we were just talking about which is how I see sort of like feminism and LGBT rights is so intrinsically linked because that was like you know you can't do this because you're a girl and it's the same thing that then stops trans people for instance being allowed to play in, in sports of, uh, as their lived gender. So it's it, it's all interconnected, mm. right? Um, mm. But yeah, I've actually just been doing the... the you, when your paperback comes out, they let you change a few things. Like if you if they're really important to update, you can't you can't just make it better, but you can kind of update, <laughs> <laughs> you know? No writer would ever give it back. Yeah, they? exactly. Like, so. right. But um, yeah, I had to update <laughs> that essay a little bit and it was really depressing doing so because... In the years since I wrote it, um, in America, so many states have moved to ban trans athletes. Um, that's that's a situation that's dismally worsened since I wrote that essay. That's really sad. Mm. And one of the things that you were talking about in the chapter was that idea that... Because people come up with arguments all the time, don't they, about why it has to be gendered and this and that and the other. and you know, But then there was that bit about golf where it's like, well, actually you know golf doesn't have any anything in it that holds people back from traits of masculine or feminine there's not a it's not a weight or a speed or a size thing that these people point at incorrectly um yet still it's gendered so it's just it's more than it's more than the excuses they're pointing at right right and i think there are lots of sort of logical points like that to be made within these debates often and that's why I'm grateful that I get to take the time to write things down Mm. because I think that these are debates that get extremely extremely heated um, and sort of logic can somewhat go out of the window Um, Mm. so it is nice to be able to do things in book form and you can just take a bit more time and say hey does this really make sense and actually if non-binary people exist, but there's no sport category for them, then the the way we're currently doing things making sense either. I don't think so. And just like have time to really think about it outside of the culture wars. You know, because what you said is about, you know, not being able to play football with the boys is, you were sort of keen to point out like it's not the worst thing in the world. But like, I do think, while it's not the worst part, I do think it's the source of so much other stuff yeah you know? you're, like, you're right like the river all flows back there and that's why people are having heated debates about bathrooms and who uses what because at school they were cross about who was playing football to- no you you know what you are totally right and i suppose i guess i just all i mean to say is it's i don't want that one isolated incident but you're but when it's happening to every kid everywhere then yeah mm. and so i think i was just trying to say it's not a so it's not I'm not trying to make this about my sob story. Uh yes, yeah. 
and uh, you know I've got better ones than this if you want this <laughs> but um <laughs> I I think yes. I think you're right though yeah I think it all comes back to that and I think it comes it is the you know I watch these debates um why well, I used to I don't I try to avoid these things these days but I remember seeing the amazing Paris Lees who you've had on um like on a yeah. debate show years ago with some with a woman a kind of Katie Hopkins-esque type person that they had sourced from somewhere to have a like debate, mm. a Piers morgan debate about, you know, should we have genderless school uniforms? And um, this person, you know, that Paris was arguing with had absolutely no, this is a cis person who it doesn't really like affect her life in any way. And just she just got so stressed out and upset about the idea of allowing gender, you know, like the slippery slope, mm. whatever next. And Paris, who, you know, arguably has much more of a connection with this topic and the outcome of this debate was very measured and calm and incredible. And yeah, just sort of, I won't forget watching that because it just shows you how how, um, emotion, you know, people, you know what I mean? It's just like, why (laughs) does this matter? Why does this gatekeeping matter so much to you? Like, how Mm -hmm. is it going to affect you? Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I think we talk about it a lot and I don't know what it is. Um, I did come up with some long theory once about order and chaos, which sounded yeah. great at the time. But I, what I'm thinking about is Sweden. <laughs> it's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Where there are places where they have gone where we are talking about going and it's been fine and great. And I thought that you very much brought that to my attention, actually, that I didn't actually realise anywhere was doing some good stuff because they have a gender-neutral name, don't they, for kids? They, they say hen or something. They have a gender-neutral pronoun hen, which has been around for years, and it's not just for kids, it's for adults too, um, as I understand. Oh, okay. And I went there to do a documentary for Vice quite a long time ago now called Raised Without mm. Gender. And um, I went to different gender-neutral primary schools or oh, kindergarten, as they would say, and then uh, I also went to meet a family who um, are raising their kids gender neutral, you know, with gender neutral pronouns and mm. and stuff like that, and um, you know, just to understand why they were doing it. And like, I'm I'm not a psychologist, but the kids seemed <laughs> happy and fine. And there have been studies, <laughs> there have been studies that have shown, you know, you have more applicate, you have more applications for certain types of jobs that might be considered considered traditionally quote-unquote masculine by people of both genders and stuff like that so you know there's an angle for it which is about fighting sexism as well as making gender non-conforming people feel more comfortable yeah that's you know that it has ramifications in the same way we're talking about the football division is not division in the league sense um uh, has knock-on effects in, in in a negative sense, but this has knock-on effects in a positive sense, you know, that, that people aren't seeing that there is segregation for things uh, in school and beyond of like, you know, everyone should just do whatever they want to do. And regardless of going, does this fit for me being a boy or a girl? Or, you know, it's really quite simple. But it was lovely to see that there's so much positive stuff going on. And I know it's not perfect. And I know you wrote about that a while ago but so I imagine it's also even different now yeah so Amelia what's next for you aside from um dinner with the (laughs) in-laws have you had your dinner I haven't had my dinner yet no um okay I think I'm in a pot do you know what's on the menu I actually don't but they're very good cooks 
really good. Do you have any dietary requirements? I don't love fish, which they're not that happy about. So you had to send it ahead. And I just sent the whole meal back. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I can't eat this. Yeah, imagine. They're, they're being very accommodating. But um, what am I working on next? I am working, I'm actually working on a novel, which is mm. scary and hard. Oh, you'll be great. You'll be great. I can't wait to read Thank that. You. Yeah, I don't read. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, what can I say about it? Um, it's got a queer storyline of no great surprise there um but it's a dark i I think like lots of other things about it will be quite um unexpected and it's a dark comedy that is supposed to sit somewhere between call me by your name and black swan so there's a thriller element perhaps it's a bit of a there's like a comedy thriller element funny Love it. Well, I love a comedy thriller. Yeah, it's a hard first genre to go for, I would say, when you're not an experienced novel writer, but we'll see. (laughs) What do I know? But I think people love that stuff. So I think you will be met with open arms and embraced by the community of readers. I mean, not the LGBT community. I hope so. It's got a bit of a queer villain in it. And I'm interested in how ready are we to embrace mm. queer villainy um well hopefully when it's clear that it's not like you know i don't actually think queer people are inherently evil then i think that hopefully it will be okay but we shall see well there'll be a reddit thread there'll be a reddit thread oh, yeah, about yeah, it yeah. you know it to add to my the um, mum's net thread that, that already exists about me <laughs> is that go on no there's just a mum's net thread about me because it's what mum's net is a hotbed of transphobia so if someone says something that oh it's because i did a ted talk that was called why feminists should support transgender rights and then they found it and then they and then they went look at her book queer intention she's probably not even queer she's probably just pretending because it's trendy (laughs) (laughs) i enjoyed oh my god i had no idea mum's net was transphobic yeah i mean can i say that with it's maybe it's a sweeping statement but i think i can fairly confidently say that yeah i mean so you're gonna have to stop using it chris stop using it. i spend a lot of time on that's how you find out how to remove stains isn't it you can find out yes exactly (laughs) exactly like i whenever you're decorating if you want to know where to get the cheapest towels from, you head straight to Mum's Net, yeah. not Wix or B&Q. And then there are people who have done weeks of research finding the exact tiles, where to get the grout, where it's cheapest, where it's the best quality. If you want a bathroom, go there. Well, I used to. Now I'm going to have to find take my business elsewhere. And obviously for the lawyers, it's not. we're not saying Mum's Net. They were just saying there are sections of Mum's Net where transphobes speak. Let's say that. Let's say that. Let's say that. I don't want them taking the house off me. Yeah, I think uh, that's a real shame. But I've always wanted to set up the queer mums net because we all have the same questions, but there's nowhere to go. And actually, you end up on mums net because there's nowhere. And I'd much rather know where oh, a queer yeah. person gets. Well, you've done the queer women's hour, so it seems like the logical next step. <laughs> See, wasn't it great? I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Listeners, that's been a little Culture Club bonus for you. Uh, there'll be more of these where more weathers came from. Stay in touch. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at homosapiens on Instagram and give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back, of course, Thursday, as we always are, the reliable podcast companion that we are. Take care. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.